Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. Every week, we talk fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making things happen in the industry. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and on today's episode, I sit down with Paul Tribal, co-founder and CEO of menswear brand Ledberry. Tribal talked about the growing fashion hub in the brand's hometown of Richmond, Virginia, Ledberry's unique revenue-sharing deal with wholesale partners, and the thing Jerry Seinfeld got right about style. Indeed, the second button makes or breaks a shirt. That's up next. Hey, Paul, welcome. Hey, Jill. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. When I dig into, I know your brand has since evolved from a shirt business, but talk about the competition in shirts right now. I just feel like the space is blowing up. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. We probably started 10 years ago. So uh, it has certainly blown up since then. I mean, I think you have a shirt for like every occasion or every mood almost now. There's a company that does that. Um, but it's interesting. Obviously, you have your custom players and the growth of that business. Um, we have stores and we do custom. That's, that's a bigger program in our actual stores. Um, you know, then you have your specific, you know, collections for different needs. But, you know, I think when we think about the the clothing business, particularly in shirts, everybody asks that question always. And I think we have the same conversation we have with our friends that run breweries back in Richmond, where we're from. It's like, how, how's the competition with all the other breweries in town or all the other shirt makers in town? And, and the truth is, like, you know, InBev Anheuser-Busch, like, owns 90% of the market still. You know, it's still the market is the traditional players. It's yeah. your Brooks Brothers. It's your department store brands. You know, it's the brands that have been specialty shops. And so as we're all taking market share for those, and I think there's going to be a great shakeout probably over the next five to ten years will continue to play out. Um, I think there's plenty of room for, for all of us. Yes. Oh, my gosh. What do you see happening in 10 years? What will the strong surviving, what will that mean? Who, who are we going to weed out? Uh, I think focus is, is hugely key. I mean, we're seeing everybody obviously get into their niche product. Um, you know, for us, it's always been shirts. We have a full collection of menswear, but it's 70% of what we do is shirts. Um, and, you know, I think it's people who offer something different to customers, you know, and so that could be a different thing for different folks. You know, for us, our big push is always, there's so much more than like the classic, like Brooks Brothers Oxford shirt. You know, that's when we came to the business. It was, let us help you discover all these cool things that could be in your closet, whether it's fabrications or weaves. And, you know, part of what we do is we've got this program called Sunday Shirting, where we release a, a new shirt every week. And it's a new limited edition, like uh, a collection. There's only a hundred made and it could be a cotton cashmere shirt next week, you know, or. Yeah. Yeah. An interesting merino blend. So things like that, I think, how can you do something different? How can you offer a different experience to the customer? And those are the people who are going to win and stay out. Awesome. So who is your customer? He is somebody that maybe he doesn't stick to a white shirt. He doesn't stick to maybe one style or a favorite, I don't know, a classic color. Is he like to kind of play with trend in terms of having um, a new, it's not necessarily a new print every Sunday, but what are we seeing? What's rolling out every Sunday and kind of who is really taking to kind of, they want to rotate their shirt in and out. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they do. I mean, obviously people don't need a new shirt every yeah. single week. Um, <laughs> so not everybody is coming and buying them. But that being said, I think we have 150 customers with over 100 shirts a piece. We've got a guy oh with 470 gosh. shirts right now and counting. So there are people that do stock up their closet, but we have two different customer bases. One is like your classic guy, the dress shirt to work, you know, the white, the blues, the stripes. Yes. And then we have like more of your fashion forward, perhaps a younger customer who's like, you know, denims, flannels, you know, some like interesting 
interesting, like indigo weaves, things along those lines. Um, and so those two end up hopefully cross-pollinating, where the, the more conservative customer, their wife says, please get a plaid, do something else in your closet. And then the younger customer or maybe the more casual customer you know, is going to a wedding, is going to a job interview and needs something. And so yes. that's our two verticals. And, and really between our ages, it's we talk about being 25 to 75 and being in a spot where like very often we have both the father and the son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an interesting place to be. It's, it's almost, it's difficult talking to that wide audience. We have to very much talk like ourselves because I think that genuine conversation comes through. Um, but I think it's great because it's a very sort of wide adoption and there's sort of a lot of different shirts that we can create for the right customer. Got it. Talk about your launch. 10 years ago, was it 2008, 2009? It was 2009. So it was the end of 2009. Yes. So what was kind of the focus? What did you see was missing from the market? Was it more so that um, this shirt making company in the U.S. was missing or there wasn't like a local take on it? It was more happening in Italy or whatever. What were you seeing? Yeah, it was well, originally started the business. I was living in London at the time, and I had been for, for five years. I went to business school and then graduated the day before Lehman Brothers went down, was supposed to be doing finance stuff. The world changed, as it did for a lot of other people, and I ended up working for a shirt maker uh, in town in London on German Street for a while. And, and I think what I loved, I guess, about buying clothes in, in London, you know, and experiencing fashion there is a lot of it was around kind of a, a specialist. You know, yeah. so you went to Cobbler for your shoes, you went to German Street for your shirt maker, you went to Savile Row for your suits, and I would come back to the U.S., and, and it was just, it was these large, you know, uh, big box brands or men's specialty stores, maybe the price wasn't right, the fit wasn't right. And it seemed like there really needed to be focus. Yeah. And that focus needed to be around like fit and like discovery. You know, I was I was getting much you know, people in Richmond in the UK and south of London don't dress very different from people in Richmond than where we live uh, in the US and Virginia, except for maybe fit 10 years ago. Yeah. And so I was very excited about, hey, let's focus on fit. Let's focus on quality. Let's focus on uh, people discovering new fabrics and new weaves and, and new styles. Um, and so I think that was it. You take those traditions, which are very English and European, but then bring them over and and not make it a Thomas Pink or like a classic English shirt maker and make it like something where we do our dress shirts, but we also do moleskin hunting shirts and we do, you know, kind of uh, fishing shirts and like unique weaves and, and different, you know, places and, and for shirts and different patterns. Um, and so not make it just sort of a, a staid tradition, but based on sort of craftsmanship and quality. Got it. So it's London. It's not Italy. I don't know my shirt history. <laughs> no, no. Well, it's it's our most of our fabric is from Italy. So there's it, it's all about taking the best components from the best places. Yeah. So, gosh, the the focus or the marketing or whatever you are calling your brand, like direct to consumer, it wasn't. I would think in the shirt business or even suiting, um, it's a different ball game where it's like direct to consumer isn't maybe the most novel thing because you know tailors have always worked directly with the customer and it's always been like a made to measure bespoke style is, yeah. is direct to consumer. So would you agree? And do you kind of, I don't know, market yourself as direct to consumer or since that became hot, people are just throwing you in that category? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, for us, direct to consumer was, was out of our own personal need. I, I think our problem was when we came back, I'm from Virginia, my business partner's from New Orleans. We came back to London, we couldn't find what we were looking for. Yeah. So how do you do that? You know, it's not by going through wholesalers, it's by creating a direct, you know, e-commerce brand. And at the point where we were starting, it was e-commerce was sort of just taking off, this idea of men still like to shop, like make it easy and convenient. Now these are all things that we talk about on a daily basis, of course. Um, but that was just getting going and I think that's what we were excited about. Um, and so that's kind of led us there. And then from that, we now have a wholesale business, which has uh, been great. And, and we also have our stores as well. So it's, it's very different from where it started 10 years ago, but I think yeah. it's important that we kind of play in all three spaces. Yes. Talk about your price point. I think a lot of the competitors that are launching are maybe, I don't know, offering one, under $100 shirts. And how are you able to maybe sell a shirt that's a little more pricey and maybe, I don't know, sell the tradition of it and the quality of it and really deliver that message? 
I mean, I remember coming to me and saying, hey, it was 2009, it was the middle of the economic crash. And he was like, if you're going to be selling shirts, you might as well sell burlap shirts. You know, <laughs> but that'd be the only thing better than, than expensive shirts because that's where things are going. Luckily, that didn't happen. Um, but for us, you know, we wanted to make the very best product we possibly could. And so that started with inputs. It started with Italian fabrics using Mother Pearl buttons, really boring, shirty stuff like, you know, sewing it over 20 stitches per inch um, and uh, and really giving our what was luxury product to our customers, but doing it at what we thought was a reasonable price. Um, and so that's anywhere between $125 and $185. The majority of our collection is around $135 at this point. Okay. Um, still expensive for folks, but what we saw very early on is we were pulling people down from Canali and Xenia and Eton, people that were spending usually $250, $300 a shirt. And yeah. we were able to educate them online through videos and, hey, take a tour of our factory. And, and they were saying, why am I spending this much on a shirt? And they'd come back and they'd buy one and then three and four and five. And so uh, as I think we've grown and as I, I think – the, the male customer has said, hey, what else is out there? Maybe I'm willing to spend a little bit more for something that's going to fit better, that's going to you know, feel better and last longer. And, yeah. and sort of that's where we are about pulling people up. What percentage of your customer is doing that custom or made to measure? It's about 30% of our store business. Okay. Um, so it's not something that we offer online right now. We're a little traditionalist and we do a lot of training with our folks to really understand like the fabrics and the fit and how to measure somebody. And so like that's a real experience for somebody when they walk yeah. into our store. Um, so it's about 30%. So as we roll out stores, that will continue to be a bigger piece of it. And and we, or, uh, we offer all of our shirts in slim fit and classic fit. Um, we also offer sleeve shortening. So we have tailors on staff that do that online. So nice. we try to have a little bit of customization and try to get 90% of folks involved, you know, yeah. without going full custom and get their shirt to them in, you know, five days. Is that all like a complimentary service by a shirt, have it perfected. It is not complimentary. So I think it's $12 to get a sleeve shortening. But if you go anywhere down the street, you know, it's probably $30 to get that done. <laughs> so I, I do think it's uh, there's value there. Um, but I think it's the idea that somebody can get their perfect fit, but not have to wait a month or have to take the time to design it themselves because just not every guy wants to do that. Yeah. Talk about the kind of data you're collecting during, the, I guess, the fit process of the guys that are getting custom. Are you is, are you building that into the shirts that you're selling ready to wear? We are. I mean, there's, you know, over 20 points of measurement for when you're doing a, a custom shirt. Um, and uh, and we're finding what people are gravitating to. Yeah. You know? And so I think it's like when we see that, you know, a sleeve in the bicep, like well, there's no reason our classic bicep should be this big because every time we measure somebody, even if they want a full shirt, it never gets that big. So, you know, you make that change. So I think that's something that's, you know, that's powerful about having that point where you're touching you know, the customer and when you're seeing them in store. Um, you know, we also have a small production facility in Richmond where, you know, about four years ago, we bought the second oldest continuous running shirt maker in the country, uh, which does bespoke. And it's great. We have 110 years of patterns. We used to do uh, shirts for Harry Truman in his pajamas and all sorts of other people have come in and got it done. But we're actually making something there. And so that's a yeah. great process because we can actually learn from the customer. We can make alterations there, but we actually make the shirt with an individual pattern by hand with a master pattern maker. And so we take those lessons and then we put that into the ready-to-wear collection. Got it. So tell, talk again. What what shirts are being made in the U.S.? What what shirts are being made abroad? Kind of what's the balance there? So, what I, are the I'll, warn your, I'll, I'll warn your listeners, this is a very boring shirt shirt explanation that's about to come out here, but I'll try to make it as quickly <laughs> as possible. We may or may not edit it out. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can edit this out, of <laughs> make course. Make it sexy. Obviously, you have your made-to-measure business, which is 90% of what we do, which yeah. is you walk in, you buy something, and you find it, and you, hopefully you love it. Uh, then there's made-to-measure, and that's what most people call made-to-measure and custom. And what that is, it's a block pattern where they're just taking your measurements, and then they're just taking it 
uh, centimeter inches off that pattern. Yes. So a true bespoke is actually, if you walked in, Jill, we would make a pattern with your name on it. And you would say, I'm not picking a collar. I'm making it. And I want it to be this like swoop or curve to it. We'd make that to you from scratch. Right. So really that's the true essence of it. Very small piece of what we do, but we do that in Richmond. So you can walk yeah. in and get that made. And then we do made to measure at our European factory uh, as well as our ready to wear. Got it. What's the benefit of the the shirts that are made locally or having that local factory? And is there a kind of, I don't know, a, a goal of moving more of the production local or? Yeah, I think the benefit of it for us is, is you know, twofold. I think first our, our you know, our real values are quality and craftsmanship yep. and not just being like, you know, marketers and, you know, people that push product. It's really people that understand how it's created because I think that's how you get to the best thing. And we're doing that in Richmond. All yeah. our sampling's there and we're making product all the time for folks. Um, so that's hugely important. Um, it's very hard to scale. Like we all want to buy things in the United States. Like uh, A, uh, there's obviously an expense with it. You know, those shirts started you know, close to $300 a piece, which is not what the average person is going to be buying, but that's for a custom shirt that's made here in the U.S. Um, but B, it's also hard to find people who want to learn sewing and learn that trade and learn that craft. I mean, a lot of that has has gone over the past 30 years so that's disappeared, and it's hard yeah. to convince somebody to sit down to do that when they could be making $16 packing boxes at Amazon a couple miles away. And so I think there's some limitations for that, and I think that's fine. I think that's our most customizable, most sort of unique side of the business, but our ready-to-wear program that we're making in Europe is, is some of, I think, the best in the world, and you're going to get a great product from people who have been doing it for generations and generations. Very cool. You mentioned your, your own stores. Right now, do you have two? We have two. Yeah. Okay, got so, it. So Richmond, where we're based, and then yep. Washington, D.C. Yep. Yeah, and so then we are in the process of opening new stores. We are opening up a store here in New York. So, oh, great. Yeah, on Bleecker Street. Excited about that. So I'm about to go check out the build-out. It's exciting, and New York's our biggest market for us and always has been, and I think we've been a little Fabian about trying to, like, get it right in other markets before coming up here and really feel pretty excited to, to be opening our first store here. Yeah. Did you test a pop-up in the city? Uh, we have. We've done pop-ups in the past. We've done not, not long form. We've done partnerships. We did a partnership with Cole Hahn where we did a two-week made-to-measure event in their Prince Street store. Um, and, you know, that West Village, Chelsea, Soho area, some of our best customers in the country. So okay. we feel very good about it. Um, we're kind of in the process of opening up 10 stores in the next three years, and then New York was first on the list. Oh, great. What do you see as the role of the store? The role of the store is, is, is twofold. I mean, first— you know, transactionally, e-commerce is the best way to do it. It's so easy and you just you pay your money and get your product and hopefully you love it. But relationally, there's nothing more powerful than building that in person. Um, when we have somebody who comes into our store for the first time, they talk to a salesperson, they try on their fit, they, they fall in love with the shirt, they heard about the brand. Those people come back and from a metrics perspective, they buy 70% more over the course of two years than just an e-commerce customer. Nice. Um, and so we want to encourage as many of those interactions as possible. Uh, I think secondly is, you know, shirts are 70% of what we do, but we also have a big collection of sweat and sports coats and pants and and we want our existing customers to be able to come in in a place like that really tells the story of the brand where they can try those related categories uh, and we see them doing that on a regular basis so you know we're not we're not doing you know 15,000 square foot you know on, on Madison Avenue you know we are doing you know small anymore? format stores this sounds original doesn't it uh, but small <laughs> format stores where we can really tell our story and interact personally with the customer Right on. Well, that's a big rollout coming up. Exciting. It, yeah, for us it is. I mean, you know, we're not trying to do 100 stores over, you know, five years, but we want to build a brand that we feel like can, can be in a lot of markets and be introduced to a lot of folks, and, and this is a, a piece of doing that. Right on. Let's take a quick break. You mentioned Amazon. Does Ledbury have a, a presence on Amazon right now? 
Oh, we do. Yes, we have an Amazon presence. Uh, so we've been really, it's pretty fresh. We've probably been on there for about a year, but really actively managing it just now. Um, we have just launched an Essentials collection of shirts, which is basically $98 dress shirts that are Italian fabrics, mother pearl buttons that are made at our European workshop. Um, so we're very excited about that. Um, but we feel like we're just telling that story. And that's that's product that never goes on sale. It's full price. And it's really leading with our best foot forward. And we think of the best dress shirt in the world for under $100. Um, so that's our introduction to Amazon. And so we're learning like a lot of other people, but it's an important place to be. That's interesting. Yeah, we've heard a lot from a lot of brands that kind of this certain collection they're featuring on Amazon and and that's kind of exclusive. Um, you want to stick with that collection, you think? I think for now. Uh, you know, yeah. as we learn it, I mean, more people are obviously looking to Amazon, you know, as a, they're basically, that's how they're searching for consumer goods at yeah. this point, not as much for Google. So we want to be part of that conversation, um, but we want to do it slowly and make sure that we're doing it right in a way that reflects yeah. our brand. And so a very concentrated way seems to make sense. Any data that you found in terms of um, customer acquisition on Amazon? Maybe they're discovering your essentials line and they're coming onto your site and becoming a larger lifetime value and they're they're falling in love. <laughs> I would like to, I, I think they're all falling in love, but I don't have any data that's around that. Yeah. Um, not, it's really too early to tell at yeah. this point. You know, we've, we've had some early luck on some of the Amazon advertising around it. Um, but if I know anything about advertising online, early luck is not always long-term luck. So, so I'll come back and we'll do a podcast on that later on. Yeah. What advertising is working? Uh, that's a good question. Um, we do a little bit of everything. So obviously we do digital and then a lot of the digital pieces around the newness that we have. So our Sunday shirting program, where we do a shirt every week where you almost use that as a digital catalog where we're showing people new shirts every week. Um, we have a catalog business, so print's still an important piece of what we do. Um, so that, that's coming out. Uh, and then we've done a little bit of, um, uh, just other direct mail as well. Um, just around, you, you, you know, we're doing a 10 year anniversary collection right now. We're doing some direct mail around that. Um, so it's a mix, uh, you know, again, I don't, I don't think it's all perfect, but it all kind of works in, in building the business. So digital is Facebook, Instagram. How often are you, is that right? And yeah. How, mm-hmm. how often are you doing those um, print catalogs? Uh, we're doing it about three times a year. Okay. And then with smaller publications between there. So yeah, we really use it as, uh, we really see catalogs as a retention business for us, you know, so let's get, bring that customer in, let's do that digitally, or let's do that through one of our stores and then use that a way to build our, our value and deepen the relationship. Is email working as well? Uh, email is not working as well as 2009 when we started, where it worked really, really, really well. Uh, it used to be, it used to be incredible. But yeah, no, it's still working very well. You know, for us again, where it's not an inexpensive product, we sell a shirt that's you know. $135. It takes people, you know, six, seven, eight touches to, to go ahead and get that. Um, so email's a, a huge component in us telling the story of why that's worth it. Yeah. So Sunday shirting, that's kind of your version of the drop model. New product, regular drops. And that is really, you're driving to it through advertising. <laughs> Tell me more. What else are you finding? Uh, what are we finding? So it is, you know, our, our philosophy, probably like a lot of people, is to get people excited about e-commerce. You need to put something on sale or you need to show them something new. Yes. Um, not revolutionary, but really that's how it is. And most people like sale. We prefer to lead with newness. And so that's a Sunday shirting program. It's somewhat limited. We only make 100 a shirt. Usually those don't go on sale. And so, and people need to jump at it, you know. And so yeah. we, we have, I talked to one gentleman the other day and his uh, personal assistant, like, knows his parameters on Sunday, on Monday morning when it drops. And he'll buy that shirt, you know, for him <laughs> if it's if it's right. Right. And so it, it, cre- it, it, so it creates that kind of, you know, collection mentality out of your customers. And we find, you know, our average order value for a customer that participates in Sunday shirting is like basically $500 more than an average order value of an average customer. So it's an important nice. piece of what we do. Uh, but then again, we have customers who just buy whites and blues twice a year, once a year and come back and see us and you'll buy 10 shirts at once and we don't see them for another year. So it's, it's a mixed bag, but I think that's important. And the drop model has always, it's always been a part of what we've done. Yeah. Um, it's difficult to pull off. But um, it's also helpful because we tell stories along 
with those products. So not only about us, but we usually profile an entrepreneur or a friend each time we do that. Yep. And I think that kind of tells the story through someone else's lens. I mean, men are crazy. They're so unpredictable. <laughs> yes, I know. You know, blue shirts are very popular this year. You'll, you'll never believe that. And last that. year and the year before that? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they're, really, they're really trending. Yeah. Talk about your, your kind of take on sales in general, on putting things on sale. Has, has that been a conflict with your maybe wholesale partners, um, whether like, we don't go on sale, we don't want to be a part of your promotion? Uh, yes. Uh, there, there's always friction, obviously, in the wholesale and the direct business, um, particularly when promotions are a part of your cadence, which they are for us and everybody when you get around those promotional times. Um, so, you know, how do we manage that? Uh, about two years ago, we came up with a program called Ledbury Share, where we actually credit basically our some of our wholesale partners with actually revenue of, from sales that are made in the areas surrounding their store. So I think that that's, that's important, you know, because I think it includes those partners in who are really helping you build exposure and, and yep. find customers. Um, um, and gives them a little bit of the pie. And for us, frankly, it doesn't matter if they shop with us, even the margin's a little bit higher. If they want to continue to buy with that retailer, we love it. We'd love to build that. We have a wholesale business that's, that's made around doing that. Um, but there's always there's always conflict, and we just try to be open and honest about it. It's the best way to do it. Yeah, I think that program is so interesting. I did I studied up before you came in. Am I, do I have it right? Within a 10-mile radius, you get 10% of the purchase made in your made in the area, like credited to you to, in order to like bring in more Leadberry product. Right. Do I have it? it? I'm just, sure just you can explain it. it more. No, no, no. I don't <laughs> think it doesn't, it doesn't need further explanation. You know, it's just the, the, the question that we always get from folks is, you know, why am I going to build up your customer base? Or this gentleman doesn't buy from me anymore because he buys from you and he yeah. lives in my town. Um, two things. A, most often than not, that's not actually happening. We're not stealing a lot of customers from these people. These, these folks, if you're in a specialty store business, you're a great merchant that's been around for a while. And it's all about personal relationships. And so people are going back to those customers. We think that we can actually drive folks to them. Yeah. Um, so if we can tell them, A, it's not that big of a dollar amount, you know, B, we'll share it with you if it is or regardless of what it is. And C, we want to drive customers to your business because we want them to try on some of the other products that you carry with us. Um, it's, it's a win-win. So. Yeah, as more kind of direct-to-consumer brands pop up, are you seeing that there's maybe less friction with with the wholesale partners and they they see the benefit and, I mean, maybe this program isn't necessary. It's a nice perk, though. Yeah, I think some people really get it and understand it. And yeah. they say, look, you if if people in my area know Leadberry and if we carry it, they're going to come in here and buy it. Yeah. Um, but I think half of them are, are especially retailers, so which are very protective, as we would yeah. all be. And it's, um, I think there's still some hesitancy around it. I think what's interesting is you have all these new direct-to-consumer brands, but you also have a lot of new, just specifically wholesale brands of folks who are doing interesting things by filling that gap. Yes. What makes a great wholesale partner for you? I think someone, for us in wholesale, the biggest benefit is the replenishment business, I think for us and them, you know, and that's like your basic dress shirt program and how we can fulfill that nonstop. We have multiple sizes and everything we can, so we should be able to satisfy every customer they have. So building up those businesses and then also adding in kind of the excitement, you know, the casual yeah. shirts and other things. So if we can do that and do that together and be open and honest about it, it's great. And, and we've got some amazing wholesale partners. What's your breakdown of sales between wholesale, direct, maybe your online versus your stores? What's the total breakdown? Uh, direct is still the lion's share of it, so yep. you know seventy percent of what we do. Yep. Uh, another twenty percent is um, is wholesale, and then rounded up by what we're doing in stores. Got it. The usual suspects. Are you at Nordstrom? Are you at where are you? At? Uh, where are we? Uh, Bloomingdale's. We've we've worked with Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's, um, Stitch Fix. Um, oh, great. Or yeah, and then probably about a hundred plus, hundred twenty five specialty retailers throughout the country. Okay, that makes sense. Gosh, as men, we hear a lot about kind of casualization of fashion, um, men kind of steering towards streetwear. Has that been a challenge for you or you're always going to have that classic customer? 
Yeah, we, we definitely. I mean, I feel like some streetwear guys even go for these kind of classic. Yeah, they classic do. I mean, hey, you know, classic will be in, it'll be out, you know, who knows? I, I think it's very much part of our DNA. Um, you know, we, our guy is, I don't think as like fashion driven, but I think he's really well put together. You know, he's kind of like the guy you see on a plane. He's like, yeah, that guy really dresses well, you know, but it might not be the most fashionable thing at that moment. Um, so that's kind of who we are. Like, I love streetwear. I think it's fascinating, but it's like, that's not a lane that we really play in. Um, but we play, we play in enough lanes. We play in casual, we play in dress, you know, uh, classic, some, you know, updated denim things. So, so we don't want to go too wide. We really want to be there for the customers, um, you know, who I think come to us for really dressing well and feeling good about the way they dress when they put our clothes on. Yeah. Are you working with influencers? Uh, we are, yeah. So again, with that Sunday shirting program, almost every week we have a, you know, influencer who will post that as well, which is great, you know, for reach with us. Yep. It's interesting. I mean, our customer, and I think I learned this pretty late, but I mean, about forty percent of our customers are over the age of fifty. So, okay, um, not all of those folks are are like being driven by the latest and greatest influencer. But we do have that. We have that. You know, that twenty to to thirty year old customer is definitely on there. So it's an important for us to play, but then we also have to play in those more traditional areas like direct mail and stores and whole. Sale. Um, but yeah, we uh, we're talking about celebrities. We don't have a ton of uh, celebrities, even though we do have some. A lot of people in media, a lot of newscasters wear our stuff. And oh, so yeah. that's always fun because they're one of the last group of folks that are actually dressed up. <laughs> so <laughs> when you see, you know, Willie Geist or Joe Scarborough uh, or even Sean Hannity or, um, you know, Pierre Alexander, all this, you know, it's, it's fun to wake up in the morning and see those folks talking with Ludbury on. Yeah. I mean, as I don't know, time goes on and people become more casual in the business space. Do you find it kind of um, crucial to be marketing to Gen Z and kind of getting them on board that dressing up is cool too? Good question. Um, there is something about uh, dressing better than you have to. There's a great menswear store in Virginia, and that's their tagline. And I think it's very true. You know, like there's yeah. something about like, you know, I something wearing a blazer on a plane. Like we always talk about it at the store. Like if you dress like you, you belong in first class, you just might find yourself there sometimes, you know, which kind of say sounds a little snotty maybe, <laughs> but there's something about at least dressing well. And it's not all about like comfort. Sometimes it's about like respect for yourself and respect for others. So we're big believers in it. Um, there's been a huge move to comfort, obviously. It's like I just want to be comfortable which we get, but we also think there's like so many comfortable clothes out there that still look great. Like a moleskin pair of high pocket pants that we have right now, a cotton cashmere shirt. I mean, we've got comfort down in like natural fibers and yeah. like in classic clothing. Um, and so, yeah, we like to talk about that. Um, but yeah, these are swings too. I mean, you know, what, what was lucky about when I started the business is dressing like you were, you know, from the 1930s in like a suit and suspenders was actually cool for a little bit, you know? You're wearing suspenders right now. I'm still trying it to- It must still be cool. I'm still trying to bring it back. <laughs> and I, I, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't taken off yet, but <laughs> but I think there's, you know, so that might be the case, you know, five years from now. So I think yeah. we, we trade true to what we do, which is creating like great products that people love and last a long time. And I think it all swings around. Yeah. You tell this the brand story great. Like, you know- what matters about it, why it's unique, why men should still be dressing this way. Like, in order to deliver that message in stores and in wholesale, in the setting of a store, a retail partner, what are you doing to kind of get that message across, make sure that the sales associates are telling the same story? Yeah, I mean, hugely important. I mean, obviously in our own stores, it's a little bit easier. Uh, there's a lot of homework that our retail staff does because we do come out with so many products. It's like, all right, what is this shirt? What is this weave? Why is it interesting? Have you ever tried this? Like, what are the effects? Um, and that might all be like an Airtex open weave cotton shirt, you know, something along those lines. So I think it's hugely important because the customer comes in, he's like, oh, I never thought about that. And I think for us, like, granted, you can tell something to everyone 
everybody and it registers in their brain. But then when they put it on, they're like, oh, yeah, that is something different. Yep. Um, in wholesale, it's a little bit harder, you know, but it's how do you – I think how do you focus on one piece that is really unique and give that to the wholesaler as like the starting point of the conversation? Like have you heard Ludberry? Like do you have uh, – you know, have you tried these pants before? Like these, you know, moleskin. Do you have moleskin pants? What is moleskin? You know, it's – Newscasters are wearing this. <laughs> yeah, newscasters. Exactly. Have you, do you watch either, yeah, Fox News or MSNBC? They're both wearing Ludberry. You know, so it's uh, – <laughs> It's for us, it's it, education is a huge portion of it that we're always trying to get better and better just because I think there are noteworthy things to talk about the products we make. Yes. Does growth for you, it means opening stores, it means new categories. What else does it mean? Um, it means opening stores. For yes. sure, because we just think that's a powerful way to introduce the brand to folks and get, get to come back online and deepen the relationship with existing foes. Um, doesn't necessarily mean new categories, in yeah. all honesty. I want people to know like why they're coming to Ledbury, and I think first and foremost, it's for a shirt. Yep. Um, and so we want to be very focused around that. And then I think it's continuing to run a healthy business, too. You know, I think we're, we haven't gone out and raised a ton of money comparatively. Um, you know, we have been around for 10 years, which like, I guess we're getting older in the direct consumer business, you know, but we like to be around for another 20 or 30 years. Yeah. And so how do you kind of create a healthy business, but actually grow quickly at the same time? And that's often a challenge, but I think one that we're, we're positioned to, to take on. Yeah. Does that mean kind of, what does that mean in terms of um, number of employees? What have been some of the kind of key hires? I was, again, creeping you. I know that there's like a head of customer acquisition and a head of like some some interesting um, hires that you've made. Yeah, I, I think that was a that was a necessity. I think hubris early on is like you're like, oh, we're doing something different, and you know we we'll hire you know a bunch of people from outside the clothing business and get this thing to grow, and it's a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> even though we hired some amazing people and they have leadership positions at our company now, but I think there's something unique uh, about the clothing business, and there's always something incredibly difficult about making something from like scratch and selling it to somebody in multiple different ways. That you really do need people who understand it, and I think you know three or four years ago we said, look, let's create a management team of people who like are from the industry who understand this business um, and can help us like grow it better than we ever could. And so what's nice about this point in our business is like we have all those seats filled right now. Nice. That's not always the case. Hopefully, right. you know, obviously that changes, but expansion and growth for us now is not adding a ton of staff. It's like building on the expertise of the very good people we have now and then using, um, you know, uh, money and profits to be able to push it into growth initiatives. Yes. We've been talking a lot about maybe this, I don't know, emerging friction that's happening between these, I don't know, Parsons, FIT folks, really um, design-focused and kind of the brands that launch out of a room at Harvard Business School. And it's really these kind of business folks, fashion folks. Like, is there kind of a clash happening? Do you see it? Uh, I don't think there's like, is there a clash? I mean, I don't know. I don't, we don't see it. And we have, yeah. we have business and we have Parsons people as well, or RISD yeah. folks uh, at, at our company. Um, I can imagine there's a lot of of people who are really talented, talented designers that never get the opportunity to sell their product and tell their story just because there's so much business on the back of it. Yep. And there's a little bit of like, why do these guys go to HBS? We did not, but you know, and, and start something very quickly. Um, but I still think, and I'm not sure if everybody does, is that the people who are running the company really need to understand product and really need to understand like how this stuff is created and what makes it important. Because you can have like a, a hit, and that's great, and you should run with it. But if you're really going to create like a long-term brand, you have to create really good product for your customers because they're going to notice when that's not the case. Yep. And that's a combination of both like business operations delivery, but it starts with like design and product understanding. Are you watching trends? Are you creating 
a shirt that's untucked. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sorry Washington's, to mention it. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no. Of course, look. I mean, hats off um, to those guys. Uh, you know, who've done the untucked business. I, I think there's something about the simplicity of a message of what people are looking for uh, that you know, if you can't find an untucked shirt, you need to go out and buy it. Um, we could call our business tucked in. Um, you know, maybe because both <laughs> most of all of our shirts are tucked in because just stylistically, let's even how we wear flannel and things along those lines. Um, but yeah, I mean, trends. You know, we're not watching it quite as much. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, if you walk around where you're kind of in a hip area of Richmond, I would say, you know, it looks like 1990-something. Everybody's dressing like Jerry Seinfeld right now. Um, Cute. So, yeah. So we, you know, we, we could do more shirts along those lines. But, but yeah, it's for us, it's we try to do kind of more classic pieces that you can have, you know, for five or ten years in your closet. Um, yes. And uh, But, look, it's, it's fascinating. And I think what's happening in shoes and what's happening in – uh, accessories and just clothing. It's such a fun time to be in the industry. Definitely. Because there's so much new stuff. It's not like we all don't have to go to the big box retailer anymore. Right on. Better to dress like Jerry or George. <laughs> Ended on a, on a very serious note. Well, we love Jerry. I mean, our signature is the lowered uh, second button, in all honesty. So I believe that was the very first uh, Seinfeld pilot ever was the conversation with Jerry and George about the lower second button. The second button literally makes or breaks the shirt. Look at it. It's too high. It's in no man's land. You look like you live with your mother. Are you through? Considering we've built a, a business for 10 years on that, I got to say, I got to say, you got to go with Jerry. Right on. All right. So fun. Thanks so much, Paul. Cool. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode. And don't forget that we're offering Glossy Podcast listeners 20% off an annual Glossy Plus membership, giving you unlimited access to fashion and beauty stories. Use the code podcast at checkout. The Glossy Podcast is produced by Pierre Bienname. Please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a review and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening. Listening.